The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I'm hoping that all of us were finding times both in our formal meditation practices, but also at different times during the day to bring these four reflections to mind. So we did the reflection, the meditation on metta the first couple of weeks, and then karuna, compassion, the last couple of weeks, and now mudita, appreciative joy. And the last couple of weeks will emphasize equanimity, which is a, a radiant balance of the heart. And these are the four divine abodes, as we all know now, beautiful attitudes and a way for us to directly and immediately sense or taste liberation. Because when those attitudes or emotions or whatever you want to call them, when they're strong, when the mind has real confidence and in a sense is resting in that attitude, then that's a mind that is empty or free of greed, hatred and delusion. Right? And you can check it out for yourself when you have that, those moments of an organic goodness, wherever they might arise in a meditation or just out doing your day, then it's really appropriate to check, like, is this heart good? Is there any greed operating right now? Any aversion or fear operating? Any disconnection operating in the mind and the heart right now? And you can see, oh, no, this is a heart that is, at this time, free of these negative qualities. And it's really appropriate, it's useful to, in a sense, taste that. This is from Ajahn Sushito. It's in uh, Joseph Goldstein's book. He quotes Ajahn Sushito there. Remember, Ajahn Sushito um, is... Uh, a Western Buddhist monk and just a really popular and wonderful, powerful teacher, um, originally from Britain. And here's the quote that Joseph has in his book. Receiving joy is another way to say enjoyment. And samadhi is the act of refined enjoyment. Right? So samadhi just means the coming together of the heart the coming together of the mind. And really, there's no easier way for that gathering, that coming together, that unification of the mind, than around these four attitudes of love. It's, it's, that's why, you know, it's said, without being a professional meditator, you know, like somebody with a lot of talent for deep states of concentration, or somebody with deep insights, one ordinary human being can taste some degree of real liberation by training the mind to notice states of love that are, you know, free of the near enemies, we call them, and I've been mentioning them. So for the basic goodness or metta, the near enemy is any kind of attachment. And for karuna, compassion, the near enemy, meaning it looks like compassion, but isn't, is a sense of pity, 
So like I really care about your suffering, but I'm also a little bit afraid of it. I'm a little bit like unnerved by your suffering and I really want it to go away. But because I don't, I'm unnerved by it, I don't want you to suffer because it's bothering me. That kind of pity isn't real compassion, right? Because there's some aversion there, there's some fear, some not liking your suffering. Well, compassion isn't so much not liking your suffering, it's that beautiful wish, may you be free of your suffering. It's not a heavy state. And the near enemy, and you might just reflect for a moment what in your own experience, like in states of appreciation, what near enemy, what contaminant shows up that sort of looks like appreciative joy, but is a heavy state? And interestingly, it's this, uh, you know, you could call it exuberance, but by exuberance we mean that there's a, there is that brightness, that energy of appreciation, but there's the ego trying to feed on it. And so it's not so much appreciating the other, the other person's well-being or happiness or success. It's like we're feeding off of the excitement and we're, we're disconnected from the person that we're appreciating. You know how it is, you know, sometimes <laughs> there's somebody's really excited and then somebody just sort of gets carried away with their own excitement. <laughs> You know, and they're sort of lost in their own exuberance, in their own sort of explosion of joy and disconnected. So that's the near enemy. And then the, for mudita or appreciative joy, and then the near enemy for equanimity is a kind of indifference because it looks, it can look like equanimity, balance, but it's negative. It's like, ah, it's just this. Why bother to get out of balance? So there may be a sort of balance, but it's a balance of not caring. That's not equanimity. Equanimity is really radiant and there, right? All qualities of love, right, by definition, are able to meet the moment, to be intimate with the conditions. So again, that quote from Ajahn Sushita, receiving joy is another way to say enjoyment. And samadhi is the act of refined enjoyment. It is based in skillfulness. It is the careful collecting of oneself into the joy of the present moment. And I really want to keep coming back to this. And this could be something that gets shared in the small groups tonight. So... I'm looking, there are 94 people online and a handful of people in the room. And remember, small groups are part of the Buddhist Studies program. And we just do our best to show up and you can always pass. But I really strongly, I won't say demand, but encourage you stay until nine and participate in the small groups. And one of the things you can talk about in the small groups is like, why you hate mudita, appreciative joy, <laughs> you know, or... You know, like what gets in the way of appreciative joy? Deep-seated habits around jealousy or envy or, you know, why not me? Why don't I get, you know, the good stuff in life? But to also share, like, uh, you know, almost as if you do a real-time inventory of how you've 
bumped into happiness? How have you bumped into joy? How have you bumped into beauty today? I mean, we've had a, recently in the last, I don't know, six months, a red squirrel moved in to our wood pile. We have a wood stove, so we have wood in the backyard. And uh, we have tons of gray squirrels around because of the oak trees and we feed, put out a lot of a sunflower seed, but now a red squirrel, and that's sort of exciting newcomer. And it's just fun to appreciate the diversity of life in our backyard. We have a big window where we can look out to the backyard. And I did that, boy, at least a half a dozen times, just standing there looking out for a few minutes today. And it's just brightening, just that capacity to appreciate the sunshine the whiteness of the snow, the animals getting fed and interacting in the way they do. It's just the enlivening quality of life and appreciating the comforts that I have and the nice soup that I made for lunch and all these little simple things, the sort of, um, yeah, the brightness of my partner and their ability to sort of navigate the challenges in their life with a sense of humor. There's so many little and bigger things to appreciate in my life. Just a nice coat of fur on my cat <laughs> and, and its willingness to go outside and uh, do what it does. And in a way, we want to... We wanna have this confidence, not that we can always actualize it, but we want to have this confidence that the joy, the aliveness of life that we feel, that we experience in moments, that it's always available, that it's already here, just not being attuned to or recognized. And we can just start by um, practicing as if we were confident that it's already here. Because if we don't have, if we're not willing to at least pretend that it's possible that it's already here, we won't look. You know, we'll just fall into the other vortex, you know, pretty sure it's not here, <laughs> which is, you know, a big habit. I want to read a little bit. So, um, last week and then this week in the weekly, in the email to the Buddhist Studies Group, I've been linking to Ajahn Sushito's chapter in his book, um, Meditation, the Way of Awakening, and he has a chapter on mudita. So that's in your email that you got from me last week and today. And uh, so I just want to read a little bit from the beginning of that, because it's just a nice introduction uh, from Ajahn Sushito about mudita. He says it means appreci appreciative or empathetic joy, it is the happiness that arises from appreciating other people's or one own, one's own good fortune. It comes from acknowledging the basic happiness, the freedom from pain, fear, grief that all beings seek. It can be sensed as the, as the buoyancy that occurs when we touch into well-being or whenever a difficulty ceases, even temporarily. So we're hungry, and then we eat a snack. So even that little, like the creature of this body was tight with hunger, even if it was a subtle tightness, 
and then we give it a little snack and there's a release of that hunger and that can be appreciated or we were a little cold and we put a sweater on and we can appreciate instead of sort of emphasizing oh why is it so cold in minnesota in the winter appreciating turning up the heat and feeling warmer or putting a sweater on he continues writing this quality which flows into appreciation contentment and gratitude is tremendously nourishing and i think that's the essential point it's like you know we're always as a spiritual being as somebody with some wisdom who cares we're always interested like what medicine does my life need you know what what medicine would be onward leading leading to more wisdom more love more ease more resilience and often the medicine we're needing is joy and part of the problem is we're pretty arrogantly sure there ain't no joy now <laughs> i mean that is that can be a very pervasive belief and and then strangely and terribly we reinforce that belief in each other i mean what do we do often even with our wonderful friends when we gather we often get into this vortex of sharing with each other all the the reasons why life sucks you know the the joke is especially with us older folks is we talk about our aches and pains and illnesses and other you know things that happen when you get older and uh we can change those habits and especially with your dharma friends you know just as in a playful way don't make it a chore <laughs> it won't work but you know just like say i i encourage this as a kind of homework somebody you talk to regularly who has some kind of spiritual practice and just say to them something like how about we experiment that when we get together you know we're, we're mess up we'll forget but how about we keep reminding each other that before we can talk about anything else we have to mention a few things that are making our hearts sing making us happy things that we notice that are beautiful and it could be even in that moment right there when we're talking to our friend but it could be something that happened or we connected with earlier in the day or earlier in the week but we're going to use this friendship at least in part as a place to prove to ourselves that I can notice what's beautiful I can keep what's good in mind I can develop a sensitivity for what's good So Ajahn Sushito just said is tremendously nourishing and we want to notice the effect of that medicine so when we do pay more attention to what's worthy of appreciation worthy of gratitude worthy of you know just being glad about then we want to notice like how it changes everything I mean first and foremost it pops that very durable bubble that life sucks you know that we just live inside of that bubble and then in that vortex the mind is uh becomes extremely dependent and good at noticing what's bad in ourselves and in what's around us and of course there's lots of things to notice so it's not like we're ignorant it's just lopsided it's out of balance
So the reason why it's good medicine is it brings the heart into balance. For most of us. Maybe some of you are already quite good at this <clears throat> and you don't need this correction in your you know, psychological, emotional conditioning. But I think it's fair to say that most of us need to develop mudita as a way of bringing the heart, the mind more into balance. That <clears throat> capacity to see what's off is useful. It, that, that's kind of a discriminating wisdom. But discriminating wisdom can also notice what's beautiful and good. Why it's always focused on what's dangerous and bad and negative and hard and, and uh, evil, you know, as if that were the only truth. And it isn't. And he talks about in this chapter, and I recommend you read it. It's only a few pages, the link that I sent out for this chapter on Mudita by Ajahn Sushito. But he just talks about this uh, inner critic that the Buddha also talks about and how it numbs out the mind's capacity or the heart's capacity to appreciate and to feel contentment. And one other point I wanted to mention in this uh, chapter from Ajahn Sushito is just, you know, we have this tendency, I know I do, and, I, and I'm guessing this is pretty common, but sort of to be the Dharma police or the Karma police. And it's like, <clears throat> we feel like we have to be careful about appreciating people, even though, you know, they might have some unwholesome qualities. It's almost like, do they deserve my appreciation? I notice this, I have to say, you know, I don't know if Wynn's listening, but it's sort of like my partner, you know, who's an amazing person, <laughs> but it's, it's almost like, I mean, I see it because it's somebody I relate to all the time, and, uh, but it's, it's almost like <clears throat> being loving and appreciative and glad and noticing the beauty and the goodness it's it's like this uh, weird imbalance like uh, well they're not perfect and and I you know I have to make sure that they're not getting too much of this appreciation you know and and the weird thing is that mostly when we're appreciating somebody we're not actually saying anything out loud to them, right? So it, it has nothing to do with like, we're going to spoil them or something like that. Oh, it's just going to go to their head or something like that. I mean, when we start to unpack this, we see how off it is. Like, why would I deprive myself the simple joy of appreciation? It has nothing to do really with the other person that we're appreciating. And that's, we really need to sort of notice that inner judge that somehow feels like I can only meter out the appreciation, the gladness, the wishing well when they deserve it, <laughs> as if we could figure that out. And it's not really about them. And I think that's really important with actually all of these qualities of love that we've been looking at during the winter course. 
we feel like when we're, you know, friendly toward another person or compassionate, it always feels like, you know, it's about, you know, do they deserve it? But it's really more about the way to evaluate it is, what's the effect of my own mind and heart? That's the trustworthy way to sense whether it's good medicine, not just for me, but for the whole world, is we taste, feel the effect right here. And we notice the ongoing, um, you know, reverberation of mudita or of any of these qualities. And that will teach us, oh yeah, this is a, this is a great gift for me. And it's a great gift for anybody around me. I'm just a better person to be around. And we don't even need to figure out what to say about mudita. You know, we don't have to go up to people and say, you know, I so appreciate you. We actually sense these wholesome qualities when they're shining, radiant in people, just like we sense when someone's closed down and in a really dark or negative space. We feel it because we sympathetically resonate with what's around us. That's why it's such a great gift to, you know, offer people. This is a, one of my favorite poems from uh, Naomi Shihab Nye. Some of you know this uh, Palestinian-American poet, wonderful poet. And it's called So Much Happiness. It is difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness there is something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hand, in your hands, like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house singing and disappears when it wants to. You are happy either way. Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful tree house and now live over a quarry of noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches and love even the floor with which needs to be swept, the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands, and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit, as the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it, and in that way be known. And I love it in part because it really has uh, kind of conveys the sense of how impersonal this goodness of appreciation is. I mean, it's moving through us. And, you know, I don't know too much about Tantra, which is a kind of spiritual movement in northern India in the early um, centuries. And uh, it, it affected uh, the way Buddhism evolved in northern India. This is, you know, 900 years or so after the time of the Buddha in northern India. And it affected uh, the yogic mystical practices or Hinduism 
Um, but I think it was in part this uh, experience of letting life move through us. And what allows us to let life, the moment, the sights, the sounds, the sensations, sensuality, it's really about a maturing uh, spiritual relationship with sensuality, with experience. Letting it move through us. Appreciating things for what they are. Appreciating sound for what it is. Touch for what it is. Thought and emotion for what it is. Smell and taste for what it is. And so much of our mind, the thinking mind, is really about dividing up and categorizing and creating hierarchical lists as we compare and contrast. And we we really lose that life living through us. You know, we're you know, what is the heart anyway? I mean the the, the essential flavor quality of the heart is the sensitivity. And what we've neurotically gotten in the habit of doing is just tightening up around that movement, that exposure of sensuality, of letting life live through us. And we can learn to really appreciate really any moment, even really challenging moments, because that intensity of what moves through us in the difficult movement, uh, difficult moments, it's very enlivening. It's very real. In a funny way, I mean, I hope I hope people take this or understand this use of word, but it's erotic to let life move through us, especially when we learn not to be afraid. And it doesn't need a sort of special moment, and it certainly isn't limited to moments that we describe as sexual. It's really about letting life move. And it's something to appreciate. And we can just start with ordinary things like when we're shopping for vegetables and reaching and touching and looking and smelling and seeing and seeing the people and feeling the functionality of the grocery cart and the, you know, and the kind of breaking of the heart around the plastic bags. Do I use one or do I not use one? And, you know, just the the vivid complexity of that experience and and just the sense of how many hands have touched these vegetables to get them here and truckers driving them here and just the just the body and the cells in the body needing nutrients and the teeth that grind the food and the throat that swallows and it's really amazing you don't even need those words but just to be participating in all of that, fully, completely appreciating just the intelligence of life. I mean, it's truly <laughs> mind-blowing. I had that sense just the other day. I drove somebody home after the program last night, and it was really icy. I don't know if any of you were on the road here in Minneapolis, but it was very icy. We got a little sprinkling of snow on top of some frozen uh, ice and snow, and so things were really slick. And and just the just the sense of the streets and the street lights and the functionality of my car. You know, it's a four wheel drive hybrid. You know, and it's it like I mean it was a little tricky, but it it sort of handled it well. And after six or seven minutes, it actually sort of warmed up. And 
and just uh just to be able to appreciate like being able to drive somebody home to be able to offer that there was just so much joy in that simple activity i reached for the radio to turn it on you know after i dropped the person off and then i realized like the moment was already so full i didn't really need entertainment and this is the thing that we can realize as we cultivate um appreciative joy is like how much is already here and how the cup can really be full and you know it really changes everything it's like the very real difficulty and suffering in life is so much more workable in terms of bringing a fresh attitude and and seeing it with wisdom the difficulty when we're more and more in touch with joy So the Buddha refers to mudita as the mind deliverance of gladness, right? It's really considered this temporary liberation. And there's uh, in Sharon's chapter on sympathetic joy in her wonderful book on loving kindness, um, she mentions these obstacles that are sort of in the the early Buddhist tradition that are obstacles for mudita. So just to be on the lookout for the judging mind, the comparing mind, the discriminating mind, the demeaning mind, the envious mind, avarice or the greedy mind, hoarding mind, and even the bored mind. You know, basically these different flavors of aversion and instead, you know, these she mentions in the chapter the allies of mudita, like the supporting conditions, like just the capacity to connect, to be intimate. And with fresh eyes, you know, there's really no connecting with the present moment without the fresh eyes. Because otherwise, we're not really connecting with the present moment. We're co- connecting with our habitual way of framing the present moment, which can be quite stale, <laughs> you know, like that critic, inner critic, seeing what's off. And that sense of inner abundance, a sense of ge- generosity of the heart in a way that doesn't run out, like there's a non-fear with that inner abundance, that inner goodness, like what we mean, in at least in a Buddhist sense, about that inner goodness is that sense, that direct sense that it's not going to run out. Like, oh, I have to be stingy with my inner goodness because I don't want to end up without any. But part of sensing inner goodness is realizing, one, it's not personal and it doesn't run out. The more we attune to it or notice it or give it away, the more there is. Yeah, and just really exploring the basic lightness or buoyancy in the moment. You could call this happiness, sukha, ease, joy and happiness. And it's and it's really just the sense of everything's in motion. You know, what makes life, what really... Um, 
supports fear and negativity is the wrong perception that something is fixed or stuck. Because we can tolerate a lot of difficulty as long as we know that it's still in motion. Like, let's say, uh, we're having trouble with a really important friend or really important relative, and it, the relationship is, you know, really broken or really hurting. But as long as we know that the relationship, like, that that difficulty isn't some fixed edifice, but that the relationship is still alive and evolving and changing, well, see, that's sort of the experience of hope in Buddhism, that nothing is fixed, everything is alive with change. So part of basic happiness is actually directly sensing that everything is always in motion. There ain't anything fixed. It's moving. And it, as uh, Thich Nhat Hanh would say, it makes everything possible. I think the, the sentence is something like, long live impermanence, it makes everything possible. And you see, like, we think of impermanence, and from that critic point of view, it's like, oh my God, I can't hold on to anything, everything's uncertain. But it, you turn it around and you realize, you know, thank God for impermanence, it makes everything possible. We can always write another chapter. doesn't matter if we completely blown something, we can keep growing, we can keep evolving, we can keep healing, we can keep making amends and asking for forgiveness and moving on and redoing it better next time. And the last ally that's mentioned in terms of uh, mudita is the tenderness of compassion. You know, it's uh, really having an honest relationship with the truth of pain and the truth of suffering makes us really appreciate simple things. I bet we can all bring to mind, hopefully bring to mind times when, you know, things were really difficult, but simple little gestures were so impactful, so meaningful, a smile or whatever it might be. I read another poem. This made the rounds about 15 years ago um, by Roger Keyes. I'm not sure um, if it's Hokusai, but it's a Japanese um, person, or it's from a poem, I think, a Japanese poem. But Hokusai says, is the name of this poem by Roger Keyes. Hokusai says, look carefully. He says, pay attention, notice. He says, keep looking, stay curious. He says, there is no end to seeing. He says, look forward to getting old. He says, keep changing. You just get more who you really are. He says, get stuck, accept it, repeat. Yourself as long as it's in interesting. He says, keep doing what you love. He says, keep praying. He says, every one of us is a child. Every one of us is ancient. Every one of us has a body. He says, every one of us is frightened. He says, every one of us has to find a way to live with fear. 
He says everything is alive, shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees, wood is alive, water is alive. Everything has its own life, everything lives inside us. He says live with the world inside you. It matters that you care, it matters that you feel, it matters that you notice, it matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Peace is life living through you. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, feel, let life take you by the hand. Let life live through you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.